All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to yet another episode of What Had Happened, a true crime podcast. I am your host, Kimberly, bringing you lesser-known true crime stories. Welcome back, you guys. Um, Thank you guys for listening and telling others as well. As I posted in the group earlier this week, I blinked and now we have 50 followers, thereabouts, and like, holy smokes, there was like literally like 12 of you. So I appreciate you guys, word of mouth. That's amazing. Thank you. And if you're listening and you haven't joined, don't forget to do that. We've got the face group, the Facebook group, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. All links will be down below in the description box. In last week, in our last episode, I talked about the 1978 murder of Rosalie Trujillo in Denver. Goodness gracious, alive. That was a whole lot. Today, I'm going to be talking about a whole lot more. I'll be discussing what had happened when dates on Backpage.com go bad. And it's actually kind of like, I found three cases that all happened in the metropolitan Detroit area. So, I figured I'd bring you all three cases. I'll be discussing these various cases with you. It's going to be extremely sensitive and difficult to record because like my heart always breaks and hurts like a little bit differently when sex workers or or children are abused exploited mutilated murdered trafficked um and don't even fucking get me started on the hatred that simmers in me when they're discarded like the trash they absolutely were not As a woman, I put myself in their shoes and I try to imagine all of the circumstances that led to making the decisions or being put into the position to be prostituted. But I'm also keenly aware of and equally empathetic and feeling for male sex workers as well, you know, and male victims of sex crimes. Uh, Listen, I'm an equal opportunity feeler, okay? But, like, this really breaks my heart, like, beyond measure. I think of the constant fear and sadness that most certainly must exist whenever they accept dates or, you know, search for dates because sometimes the victims are the people that are soliciting the sex. The uncertainty of who might show up or, you know, what could possibly happen. At some point, there's a moment I I wonder when, like, you know, like their spidey senses tell them that they're in danger. I know my spidey senses, they are really fucking good. So I know that I cannot possibly have, like, the commodity on spidey senses because if I did, I would bottle that shit and distribute it to everybody. So you could all get the fuck out of danger. The oldest profession doesn't bother me either, by the way. It's the disrespect, disregard, abuse, and the murdering. That's what bothers the shit out of me. I'm directing this to, like, the sick fucks out there, men and women alike, who pray. I have some questions for you before I start this. Number one, who in the actual fuck do you think you are? And number two, what gives you the right to do the twisted shit that you do? Number three, why do you think your life is worth more than theirs in all capacities? Because some of you guys are real fucking dumpster juice. I'm sorry. Oh, she's on a tear today, y'all. But like, you know, as a vagina owner, as a human, I feel that, you know, this is bullshit. We shouldn't be hurting people like this. And we definitely shouldn't be doing it during the hippity-dippity. Anyways, I had a lot of fucking questions about this. I was really pissed off 
you know, as I was going through this. So let me just get right back into this now that I'm done clutching my aquamarine and ranting for like the first three minutes. What exactly was Backpage.com, some of you might be asking. Well, Wikipedia had an extensive amount of information. Backpage was a classified advertising website that was founded in 2004 with its original stemming, with its origin stemming from its 2002 launch through New Times Media, which was later known as the Village Voice Media, and they were a publisher of 11 alternative news weeklies as a free advertising website. So Backpage quickly rose to be the nation's number two online classified site. Like, I bet you guys don't even need to guess what the number one was. Backpage featured various classified categories, but the adult-oriented personal ad section is what Backpage has become notorious for. Until 2017, Backpage contained an adult personal ad section, which contained numerous subcategories for various sex work trades. The company suspended the section following accusations by United States Senate Subcommittee of being directly involved in sex trafficking, truth, and sexual exploitation, exploitation of minors, double fucking truth. Even with the suspension of the section, many sex workers and erotic masseuses admitted to moving their ads to the men seeking women and massage categories to continue booking dates prostitution is illegal this is for all y'all who don't live in the united states i'm sorry this this might sound stupid but okay here we go prostitution is illegal in all 50 states with the exception of 10 counties let's get the echo on that 10 counties in the state of nevada Kristen D'Angelo, executive director of the sex workers outreach project of sacramento criticized this shutdown though asking how many sex workers across the united states no longer had a way to support themselves you see back pages allowed for sex workers using the site to post bad date lists screen clients and communicate with other sex workers to ensure a safer working experience Activists argued that the move would force some of the site's users to work on the street instead. And for the victims in this particular episode, Backpage.com would be where they would all arrange dates with their murderers. Detroit, Michigan, commonly referred to as the Motor City, is the largest, most populated city in the state of Michigan, as well as being the largest U.S. city on the U.S.-Canadian border, eh? With an estimated population of 3,530,000 residents, Detroit is, in the tw- is the 12th most populated city in the United States as of 2021. Detroit has a rich automotive history and is regarded as a major cultural beacon and hub for artists, musicians, architects, and there's also the amazing architecture and design hub that's there as well. So while being a major port city on the Detroit River as well, which is one of the four major streets, by the way, if you guys weren't paying attention in elementary school, this is your lesson. The Detroit River, which is one of the four major straits that connects to the Great Lakes system to the St. Lawrence Seaway, oh Canada, Detroit boasts being the second largest regional economy in the Midwest as well. 
Detroit is also home to the big three of automotives. That's Ford, GM, and Chrysler. Lastly, the Motor City gave us the brainchild of Mr. Barry Gordy in the form of Motown Records, which produced countless songs, dope-ass acts, don't get me started if you don't know about the Supremes, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell. Google it. Ah. <sighs> These records were also produced in countless songs that are also woven within the tapestry of our hearts and our country. Tell me that you should know about Motown. And if you don't, Google it. While all of those amazing stats and quick historical overview are pleasant, the truth is, for all of that greatness that is within the city, hmm, there's a lot of darkness, violence, decades of corruption and debilitating decay the city has been fighting to get away from and now our first story the first story i'm going to tell you about is about a serial killer who committed four murders the week of christmas in 2011 on december 17th or december 18th two ha 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 i see what you did there december 19th 2011, officers arrived at 14499 Promenade Street on the east side of Detroit after receiving a call that two women were found dead in the trunk of a great Chrysler 300. The car had been abandoned and backed into an empty garage near a vacant home. After running the vehicle's registration, police discovered the car belonged to 24-year-old Renisha Landers. It was later determined that the two women in the trunk were best friends and cousins, 24-year-old Renisha Landers a 25-year-old Demisha Hunt. Six days later, on December 25, 2011, Detroit Police and Fire responded to a report of a car on fire at 14903 Lynette Street, again on the east side of Detroit. When the trunk was finally opened, two badly burned bodies were discovered inside the 1997 Buick LeSabre. Like the Chrysler 300, the Buick LeSabre was backed into an empty garage in close proximity to a vacant home. Both the home and garage were damaged by the fire. Unlike the Chrysler, this Buick did not have a license plate. The badly burned bodies were later identified as 28-year-old Vernithia McCrary and 29-year-old Natasha Curtis. A homicide task force began investigating both crimes together after a list of similarities emerged. The four women discovered were all African-American women in their 20s. All but Demisha Hunt utilized Backpage.com to, to conduct their business soliciting sex. And lastly, the manner and locations where their bodies were discovered were also similar. Upon obtaining the victim's cell phone's records, detectives discovered one phone number in particular that all that popped up throughout the sets of both sets of women. Detectives learned that the phone number belonged to 23-year-old <clears throat> James Cornelius Brown. No fucking relation to the king of the godfather of soul no fucking relation to the godfather of soul i will be calling him by his full government detectives learned that james cornelius brown frequently changed his phone 
and number, and during the month of December, he made several calls related to sexual services, services websites. They also discovered that before moving to Detroit suburb Sterling Heights, James grew up four blocks away from where the bodies were discovered. On May 1st, 2012, James Cornelius Brown was placed under arrest in connection with the murders of Renisha, Demisha, Vernathia, and Natasha. At the time of his arrest, James was living with his mother. Okay, so, sidebar. James gives Ed Kemper vibes in the regards that he is a giant. I'm not bullshitting you. James stands at 6 foot 10 and weighed at the time of his arrest approximately 340-350 pounds. So he was a whole lot of man. I mention all of this because his imposing side was an advantage for him, meaning those average those average size women didn't stand a chance against him. James was booked and transported to the homicide unit where DPD detectives Ernest Wilson and Derek Thomas conducted their interview. Before questioning James Cornelius Brown, Detective Thomas reviewed James's constitutional rights where he signed a second <clears throat> written acknowledgement. Oh, jeez, I skipped. Where he signed a form, it was a standard form, and promptly requested a lawyer. Because he lawyered up immediately, he was transferred to another area for the night. The following day, Detective Thomas and Detective Sergeant Kenneth Ducker arrived to transfer James back to the homicide unit to perform a buccal swab. According to the detectives, during or just before James's transport, he told detectives he wanted to speak to the police. Upon arrival to the unit, Detective Thomas reviewed James's constitutional rights again, where he signed a second written acknowledgement form. It was during the second interview that James admitted that Renisha Landers and Demisha Hunt had both come to his home in December of 2011. James told detectives that he had initiated contact with Renisha through Backpage.com. James said that when the two cousins, when the cousins arrived to his Sterling Heights home, the three smoked marijuana together, and then he paid Renisha for sex. The two had sex. And then James said that after having sex with Renisha, he fell asleep. When he woke up because he felt nauseous, he discovered both Renisha and Demisha were dead. James said he drove Renisha's car into the garage where he put into his garage, where he placed the bodies of the cousins, Renisha and Demisha, into the trunk and disposed of one of the women's clothing in the trash before driving to the east side of Detroit and dumping the car in his childhood neighborhood. James insisted to detectives that he didn't kill either Renisha or Demisha, but instead suggested that the marijuana they smoked together was somehow tainted. James then told detectives that a few weeks later, which... Okay, it's actually days, but what the fuck ever. A few weeks later, a few days later, James contacted Vernethia McCrary and Natasha Curtis through Backpage.com. Both women arrived at his home for their scheduled dates with James. 
James told detectives the same story that he told them about being with Renisha and Demisha. James said that James, Vernithia, and Natasha smoked marijuana together. James said that he had fallen asleep in his basement, and when he woke up, both women were dead. James told detectives how he put the women in the trunk of their car and drove them to the east side of Detroit. When James concealed the car, he said that he poured gasoline over the trunk and rear of the car and set it on fire with a lighter. James also told detectives that he disposed of their belongings in the trash at his home. A bit of information I found while going through court documents is that at one point during his trial, the prosecution introduced into evidence text messages between James and Christina Morris between the dates of December 17th and December 18th, 2011. The defense claimed it should be inadmissible as it was not produced during discovery, while the prosecution argued the data was relevant to show James's state of mind during the time Renisha and Demisha were murdered. The trial permitted the admission and the prosecution presented this. James admitted that he disposed of Renisha and Demisha on the morning of December 18, 2011. The cell phone records between James and Christina Morris revealed that James began texting Christina mere hours after he disposed of Renisha and Demisha's bodies to solicit, to solicit sexual services from her. This evidence was relevant to demonstrate James's state of mind because it suggests that he was not remorseful about the incident involving the women and continued to intentionally seek out additional sexual encounters after disposing of their bodies. Now, because Vernithia and Natasha's internal organs were intact after their extremities were mostly burned away in the trunk of the car, two of the ten counts James was was tried for were dismemberment and mutilation of dead bodies and disinternment and mutilation. The dismemberment and mutilation was eventually overturned because when he appealed that one, for Sherzies, he really didn't like literally like it wasn't like he was like Hacksaw Ridge. He wasn't, you know, like I hate to say it and I don't want to sound macabre, but he's not, he wasn't literally dismembering bodies this was not fargo there was no wood chipper and there was no use of like he wasn't trying to make them both fit in the trunk and then oh shit now i gotta cut off a leg or an arm or something like that that didn't happen and that's what the dismemberment and mutilation charge implied and he didn't do that he may have disinterned them because they were found in the trunks of cars but no. Anywho, during his month-long trial, the prosecution referred to James as a serial killer, which, newsflash, he is a fucking serial killer. And they said that he was a serial killer who got a thrill out of killing women. Well, four women in six days, I call that a, a lust for killing. Friday, February 28th, 2014, the jury found James guilty of all 10 counts. On April 15th, 2014, James was sentenced to life in prison for the crimes that he committed. 
okay as i said he later on would go ahead and appeal the a few things but the one thing that did get overturned and i mean like i found this out just by looking at his inmate information because that's like that's free for people to to look into um though those two counts as far as Vernicia and natasha were concerned were removed now the there was a there was an exam a medical examiner or professional who had said that because Renithia and Natasha's internal organs were intact after their extremities were mostly burned away, that was considered mutilation. But it really wasn't. So I mean, per the law that was actually overturned, and so he served that time. That shit got wiped off of his record. But and and also his nickname whilst in prison right now he's been referred to as a gentle giant and i'm sure that it's because he is a very quiet man just like ed kemper was except for you know when ed kemper wanted to talk he would really talk oh there's a lot to unpack there serial killer young man it was probably his first time actually committing the crimes and he ramped up and accelerated and he liked it he killed two he liked it he did it again and if it hadn't been for back pages i don't know that they and the cell phone records that they would have been able to catch james cornelius brown in a timely manner and you know keep him prevent him from killing you know more people now we're going to move on to our second crime our second case begins on friday august 14th 2015 23 year old cynthia aka cindy worthy quietly set up a date on backpage.com she was last seen in her neighborhood at approximately 5 p.m that after evening when Cynthia spoke to her mother that night at around 9.30, everything seemed fine. Cynthia's mother, Priscilla, would later say that she assumed her daughter was at home when they spoke, but she wasn't. Priscilla and others described Cynthia as reliable, sweet, kind-hearted, and just an overall great person. She was the salt of the earth. She would give you the clothes off of her back. She would do anything for you. In fact, you know, she loved to make people happy and she went out of her way to, to you know, just be a kind person and to give. She drove from Michigan to Pennsylvania to surprise her aunt at one occasion for her birthday. Cynthia and her mother always kept in contact with each other, although there was an hour, there was an hour distance between the two of their homes. They were always in communication. They were always talking, texting. You know, Cynthia was always going to see her mom. She was very forthcoming and an open book, but the one thing that she did not divulge to her mother was that she had been, I hate to say prostituting, it's such an ugly word selling sexual goods if you will she you know she'd been doing that using utilizing back pages and listen chef don't fucking judge i don't judge any of these women all right so there's that but 
Her family did not know. When Cynthia failed to communicate with her mother the next day, bells and whistles started to go off. But the family was really alarmed when on Sunday, her vehicle was found abandoned in Detroit. So her family appeared on the local news and they pleaded for the safe return of Cynthia. Unfortunately, the following day, the body of Cynthia Worthy was found stabbed multiple times in the chest behind a clinic in a vacant lot, not far off from the location where her vehicle had been found. At one point on Sunday afternoon, a witness even told local news reporters he saw a man sifting and adjusting debris in the area where Cynthia's body would later be found. Detectives were able to determine that the last person who Cynthia was with was Jerome Moore Jr. <sighs> when Jerome's home was searched by cadaver dogs by cadaver dogs and detectives, they found Cynthia's DNA inside of Jerome's bedroom, on his shoes, and in his basement, and also in the trunk of his car. While it was uncertain whether Cynthia died inside of Jerome's Oak Park home or during the transportation of her body to the location it was found, Cynthia had already been stabbed when she was placed inside of his trunk. In a deal, Jerome pleaded guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for the dismissal of the first-degree murder charge, and Jerome Moore Jr. was sentenced on March 23, 2016 to 30 years in prison. <sighs> Now, our final. I'm going to tell you about this one, and I debated on this. Cause, okay, so my moral compass has me feeling just a little bit some kind of way, but I'm there's layers to it. On June 1st, 2017, when Marine veteran and popular local chef and caterer Doug Calhoun failed to arrive to a catering job in St. Louis, all of the bells and alarms went off. You see, Doug Calhoun was reliable, responsible, dependable as fuck. For 37 days, the family and friends of Chef Doug Calhoun searched high and low for him. Doug's family was able to find his abandoned vehicle, but there was still no sign of him. Detectives searched, searching Doug's bank accounts found that his cards had been used in various locations after his disappearance, but what perplexed detectives was surveillance revealed it wasn't Doug using his card, but instead a wiry African-American male. After finding a suspicious order for pizza, the, detec the detectives tracked down the address to which the food was delivered. When they showed up at the residence, they were greeted by a teenage girl who claimed to have been living at the residence with her 27-year-old boyfriend since March of 2017. Inside of the home, there were many locations that contained Doug's DNA, making a deal for immunity with the police. The teenage girl described to police and detectives how she was sex trafficked and pimped out by her boyfriend. The girl admitted that she was a minor and that she had a date with Doug Calhoun at about 2 a.m. on the 1st of January. She said that Doug became upset 
when there was a disagreement over the use of condoms. The girl insisted that Doug wear one, and he was adamant about not using one. Doug then told the teenage girl to give him back his $50 if he couldn't have unprotected sex with her. The girl told Doug that's not how this works. As the two argued, the girl's boyfriend, who was in a back room, emerged with a shotgun and killed Doug. Police had evidence and a statement, but no body. That's when the teenager took detectives and police to the garage where she pointed out a trash can that contained the remains of Doug Calhoun. The teenager's boyfriend slash pimp. Oh God, his name is a fucking doozy. Are you guys ready for this one? Like, his name is Trayvon Eugene. Is it Yanni? Johnny? J-A-N-I. I don't want to fuck that up. Baskerville. Well, Trayvon... You went and fucked up when you not only murdered a man, but you trafficked, you sex trafficked a teenager. Trayvon received 120 years in prison for sex trafficking and murder. So, it's kind of like a fast one, right? That like really moved really fast, like diarrhea. I'm joking. No, no, it was a move. It was a fast moving. Uh, this was a really fast moving episode. But so what had happened is this. Prostitution is the oldest profession. But. Which I have no problem with. Whatever. Sex sells. But. There are some really disturbed people. Who cross lines there's some people who have a bloodlust there are some people who hate women or men whatever you know whatever it doesn't it, you know what I mean the chef don't judge and there's no discriminating but you know what I mean there's people that hate women and men you know if you're out there murdering you know male sex workers there are people out there that have a lot of mommy issues, a lot of rage issues, a lot of testosterone issues. Male listeners, I love you all, but I just want you to know that like these murders all scream little dick energy. On the killer's point, on the killer's part, that is. You know, um, there's no control and no restraint. And it's scary, you know. It's scary enough to be walking up and down the street and getting into cars with strangers whether you're hitchhiking or turning tricks it's even scarier when you make a date with someone using your cell phone an app your computer and you don't know who's going to pull up you see I personally have never been a sex worker but I've known people and have been friends with people who have. And so I've always been concerned and I've always known that there were some 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 trade secrets like you never take the John back to your place. You always have to have, you know, the place that you like to work out of or operate out of. Uh, you know, a motel room, a rental, something where there's people around. <laughs> 
you know so just in case something happens you've got people out there that are willing to you know have your back uh some of these girls have learned a little bit and will have escorts or drivers who will accompany these women on their dates and wait for them to come out and they receive a portion of the payment you know and okay but these women didn't have that and from what I could see of the neighborhoods and where they were dumped at I don't think that these women were making a lot of money doing this I don't think that the dates between James Cornelius Brown and Vernethia, Natasha, Renisha, Demisha, I don't think that any, I don't think that any of the dates between those ladies and Mr. Brown were like at such an exorbitant rate that, you know, they didn't have to worry about doing another date or, you know, the holidays were coming up. There's a la- there's layers to this. I'm I'm not saying that they were bargain basement, but I don't think that they were charging a lot of money for their services, um, because these men were able to lure them and get them into places where they had their guard down. They you know, oh man, Detroit, what the fuck. We've seen the same thing with Craigslist, the Gilgo Beach murders. We've seen this with other ladies on the East Coast. If you guys are, recall, there was uh, there's a murderer that's still on the loose where bodies were found in burlap sacks along the beach. I believe it was like in Long Island. You know, it scares me. Again, I'll mention it again. West Mesa where all of those prostitutes were being just scattered about in the plains and the desert and just it's heartbreaking okay I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shun any of these victims because there's always another option right if you want to get rough but I say I'm not into that stuff. You can say bitch kick rocks and I'll walk home. You don't have to asphyxiate me. Which, by the way, the coroner was never able to determine exactly how the cause of death of the first four women who were murdered by James Cornelius Brown. But the coroner did find that they died of asphyxiation. That's a sidebar. I almost forgot about that one. Um, you know, when you think about Cynthia Worthy and Jerome Moore Jr. Similar situation where a date was made. People knew that she was going on this date, but you never know who the fuck you're going to meet, and you never know what's going to make them snap. You never know if it was something that was premeditated or something that just snapped in their head and they kill you. There's no excuse for it, is the end all be all. You know, 
And then finally, Doug Calhoun. Okay. My problems with this whole thing are this. The prostitute was a minor. She was a child. She was sex trafficked by her 27-year-old boyfriend. And Mr. Calhoun was a 30-plus-year-old man at the time of his murder who, I'm sorry, but if I'm paying for sex, I'm making you use protection, who should have wanted to, I mean, you shouldn't want to fuck a 17-year-old if you're a grown-ass man. That's fucking disgusting. But you shouldn't also, you should also not want to get into a pissing contest with her when she decides that you need to wear a condom. That's where I feel, okay? As a former Marine, I'm all like, Semper Fi, motherfucker. But at the same time, I'm a woman. I'm a human being. And right is right and wrong is wrong. And all of that shit was gross. It shouldn't have happened. But that didn't give Trayvon Baskerville the right to exterminate this man and then dispose of his body and leave him in... A, a garbage bin while the entire fucking city looked for this man for 37 days my sympathy lies with his family and his friends and his his you know his everybody that was a part of his circle who knew all of the great things because hey nobody is everybody's human nobody's perfect and i understand that you know he didn't deserve to be shot in the test you know what you do you, because, you know, Trayvon Baskerville paled in comparison in size, and maybe this is why he used the weapon that he used and and did that instead of just whooping Doug's ass. Perhaps if Doug had been a gangly dude, he would have just beat his ass or, you know, decided that that was a risk he was willing to take because he could take on somebody his own size. But I f- I'm pretty sure that this had nothing to do with you know, defending the chivalry of the girl who, you know, was having an argument with a John and wanting his money back, and you never know how things could escalate. So, that was all fucked up. All of it, the whole thing. Do better, Detroit. I mean, I know we've eliminated some of these ways for advertising and soliciting sex. Do better everywhere fuck it it's not just detroit detroit versus everybody it's everybody versus everybody do fucking better that's what i got for you guys today damn <sighs> backpage.com maybe like in an, in an upcoming episode i'll like you know find some craigslist killers you know they exist too because i think they were number one in advertising anyways huh but uh you know that's it, you guys. That's what had happened. Some really fucked up shit be popping in Detroit, yo. Like, for real. It's scurry. Anyways, you guys, I'm Kimberly. I'm your host. Welcome back. Love you guys. Missed you guys last week. Next week, I'll have another great episode of some lesser-known true crime story or stories that you don't know. Oh. <sighs> Come for the podcast, stay for the memes and, you know, true crime stories, I guess. Have a good night, guys. I'm out.